Here we are, episode seven of the Deep Three podcast. I'm joined by Russ Reeves, strategy coordinator for the Triad area for the uh, state convention of North Carolina. Russ, it's good to have you here today. It's always good to be with you. Thank you for being here. Um, Alex, I can start off with maybe just a little bit of uh, of your background. Maybe you've got a really cool story of coming to faith and a call to ministry. That could take us a while. So um, we'll, we'll dive in there, just kind of, uh, again, your background, come to know Jesus and how you've come to, to work in ministry. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, I grew up not far from here uh, on the west side of Winston-Salem, a little community called Puff Town. Oh, yeah. Um, and so... Uh, a lot of people ask me if I went to Reagan High School. Um, you did not. Reagan was the president when I started in high school, so they didn't have schools named after him yet. What about Ted's Kicking Chicken? Was that there? I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah, but I went to North Forsyth. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, I grew up there. Um, you know, coming up um, as a young person, uh, I did not attend church. And um, so probably sometime in my mid-teenage years, I had this realization that, you know, everything I was learning about in school kind of presupposed that there is no God hmm. and that, uh, you know, the, the earth and all life kind of came into being by cosmic accidents. And I wouldn't say that that's what persuaded me. But rather, you know, as Paul says in Romans 1, that people suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Hmm. I realized that life without God meant no accountability, no consequences. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I mean... Different to that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, at the time, I thought that was a good thing. Sure. Right? Yeah, you know, yeah. so that means I can do whatever I want to do. I don't have to answer to anybody, you know... There's no right or wrong. There's no rules, you know. Eat, drink, and be merry. Exactly. And in, yeah. in not necessarily in that order. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, looking back on it, I see that uh, I'm lucky to be alive today because mm-hmm. of that. Uh, but at the time, you know, I just realized, wow. So so I have all this. There's there's the scientific and philosophical knowledge that would give me the, the argumentation to defend this worldview. But really, it was a volitional choice because... I can live however I want to mm. if there's no higher power to hold me accountable for it. So I can remember probably about being 14, maybe not yet 15, I don't think I was driving, just kind of declaring that I'm an atheist. Mm. I reject all belief in God, uh, any religion. I wasn't specific. It wasn't just Christianity that I was supposed to. I was any, yeah. any kind of religion that had a moral code. I just kind of wrote it off and said, you know, so I'm going to live how I want to live. And, you know, I was pretty good at uh, at, at pulling the wool over people's eyes. So a lot of people mm-hmm. thought I was a good guy, you know, uh, that I was an upstanding young man, uh, had a lot of opportunities thrown my way. But man, people who knew me well knew that I was, you know, just, you know, literally sowing my wild oats, uh, living in absolute moral rebellion. And uh, so uh, my, my career ambitions at that point in my life were to spend my entire future in the military as an Air Force pilot. So um, I, I kind of set everything in motion to seek uh, an Air Force Academy appointment, and I received that. My senior year of high school, I was appointed to the Air Force Academy. So right after I graduated, I went to the Air Force Academy, and... Uh, I was there about 48 hours Hmm. when I realized that something significant was missing in my life. I couldn't tell you what it was. Uh, All I knew was that I couldn't spend another day not trying to find the answer to this question that was hanging over me. Wow. Two days in. Two days in. Wow. So um, I went to the kind of lead officer on our on our wing there and and said, hey, you know, this is going to sound crazy, but I think I need to leave. And he said, well, you can't do that. He said, you know, like yeah. you, you have to stay through your first summer. Right. And then if, you know, if you don't want to stay beyond that, you know, then you can leave at that point. And I said, no, I, I can't stay like another hour. 
um, because like I'm having a, a, a crisis moment here, you know, sort of an existential crisis. And he said, well, let me get the chaplain for you. And I said, well, look, I don't think that's going to work because I don't believe in God. So I don't think there's going to be a chaplain that can help me. Like, he's like, well, what about a psychologist or, you know, a psychiatrist? And I was like, yeah, that's probably what I need because I'm probably losing my mind because, like, I'm, I'm living my dream. I'm doing everything I ever wanted, you know. So he said, well, you know, we'll set you up a meeting with somebody tomorrow morning. And so the next morning I go into this guy's office and he says, uh, you know, well, well, once you, you say your, your, your pledge, your oath, you know, you take the oath of office, you know, you, you can't leave until the end of the summer. And, you know, I, I guess I was probably too smart for my own good, but I remembered that we were supposed to take that oath the day before and it got canceled because oh. we had a tornado come through campus. Wow. And, huh. and I said, well, you know, actually that doesn't happen until later today because it got canceled yesterday. Hmm. And the guy said, well, in that case, you're free to go. <laughs> so, so I left the Air Force Academy 48 hours after I got there and um, didn't have any idea what the future was going to hold. All I knew was that I had a big nagging question in my heart and mind that something was missing in my life and I didn't know what it was. So um, I come back home and, uh, most of the relationships that I had here were affected by, I mean, I'd said goodbye to everybody because right. I thought I was gone for good. Yeah. You know, I thought I'd never be back. Um, so, you know, a lot of people just kind of had moved on, you know, already, even though I wasn't gone long, but, you know, people <laughs> went off to college. They went and they moved into other places. And, you know, in a lot of relationships, I, I kind of was glad to be done with, you know. Um, and then a lot of people were very disappointed in me and, you know, thought I was a failure that, you know, I had wasted an opportunity and, and I certainly understand that. I don't fault them for feeling that way. I'd probably feel that way if it was somebody that I'd invested in, you know? And so, um, yeah, there was one group of guys though, you know, that their reaction when I said, Hey, I, I'm back home, they were like elated and they said, Hey man, that's fantastic. <laughs> we're doing all this stuff and we're glad you can come hang out with us, you know? And, and the interesting thing is that what those guys had in common is that they were all followers of Jesus. Okay. Uh, now they knew where I stood right. and how I lived, but they were willing to be my friend anyway. And they welcomed me into their lives and into their homes and into their families. And, and, uh, you know, and so here I found myself, uh, back home, not knowing what the future holds, trying to sort all this stuff out in my head and my heart. And they said, uh, why don't you go with us to Caswell, which, you know, if you, if you don't know, that's a, it's a Baptist retreat center. It's owned by the North Carolina Baptist Convention. Beautiful place. Took me how long until we were planting this church to get there. I don't know how I made it that long as a Baptist uh, yeah, Southern Baptist did not get there, but yeah, love Caswell. Really sure. spectacular yeah. place, and and you know, I said, well, you know, I don't know, I, I, that is church camp. That didn't seem like a place for an atheist to go, <laughs> um, you know. But they they persuaded me to go along, and uh, and so you know, part of your day every day at church camp is you spend some time reading the Bible, and I didn't have a Bible, so they gave me a Bible. Um, and uh, and so you know, the first morning I kind of went out and I thought, oh, I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to read this book, you know, this book doesn't have anything to say to me. Yeah. And so, you know, you're out there for an hour. And after about 10 minutes, I was like, surely it's been an hour, it's been an hour, right? <laughs> and, you know, it, it took a day or two for me to say, okay, time will go by faster if I actually just read the book. Sure. I mean, just read it. Yeah. You know, I already know it's all foolishness. I don't believe any of it, but I'm just going to read it. That way I can have some really good arguments later on with some people, you know. Okay. So I start reading it. And it's like lights start coming on, you know. Um, man, all of a sudden, I'm interested in it. And the next, the next day, I'm like, I can't wait to go out there and read this book, you know. Mm. So on the last day that we're there, the reading for that day is 1 Samuel 3. Samuel is asleep in the temple and uh, uh, or in the house of the Lord, it says. You know, and so he's uh, he hears his his name called, mm -hmm. and he runs to Eli, and he says, uh, "You called me." He says, "No, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep." You know, 
And this happens three times. And Eli says, oh, you know, I think, I think it's the Lord mm-hmm. trying to get your attention. And, uh, and, and so I think it's verse 7, 1 Samuel 3, 7. Uh, you can check me if I'm wrong on this. But 3, 7, I think, says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord, so the word of the Lord was not known to him. And, you know, I can, I can tell you this. Before I read that verse, I was an atheist. I haven't been an atheist since I read that verse. Wow. Um, immediately, it became clear to me what I was missing, what the big hole was, what the nagging question was, is that I didn't know God. And that all of my life, God had been trying to get my attention. And I'd been running off to other things saying, you know, hey, you called? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and none of those yeah. other things are what was calling me. It was God. And, uh, you know, if you remember that passage, Eli said to Samuel, the next time you hear it, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Hmm. And for the first time in my life, I prayed that day and said, okay, Lord, you got my attention. I'm listening. Now, you know, we call the gospel good news. Uh, and it is good news, but I tell you, in that moment, it felt like really bad news because I knew if there's a God, then remember, I chose atheism because yep. it was going to get me off the hook for whatever I wanted to do. So now I've got an answer to this supreme being, this holy God, about all the sin that I mm. knew. Like nobody had to convince me I was a sinner. I would have, I would have, I would have worn that T-shirt, you know. Uh, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was like, okay, wow, God's really there. I really believe in him, and I am really in trouble mm. because I have been a bad boy. And not only that, but I've been out trying to convince other people that God's not there. And, uh, you know, and so I spent that day really conflicted and, and uh, in an emotion, emotional turmoil, and it was that night that I heard the gospel that, uh, you know, Jesus came to die for our sins so that God will forgive us and reconcile us to himself mm. so that we can have that personal relationship with him and, and have life as he intended us to have it, abundant and eternal. And, uh, you know, I've always been kind of the kind of person to say, okay, I need to think about that for a little while. And I remember we were in chapel service. The invitation was going to come down to the altar, pray the prayer, you know, and all that. And I, I, did, I thought, no, I want to think about this. And the minute I walked out of that chapel, I just broke down. And I knew that that was the answer to everything that I was looking for. That was the answer to all the questions. And so, uh, you know, the little cabin where our group was staying, I kind of came in the front door and I said, look, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I want what we're just talking about in there. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Hmm. And, uh, and so that was July 31st, 1992. Um, immediately after that, I went to college, uh, UNC Charlotte. Uh, no discipleship period. No, <laughs> you know, no, this is what it means to be a Christian right. now. It's just kind of like, uh, here you go into the lion's den. Trial uh, by fire, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and I didn't really know the difference in how to live as a Christian, how to live as a non-believer, you know. Uh, and so I was doing a lot of the same stuff. And I had a good friend who I'd known since middle school, I guess, Uh he was not a believer, and he said to me sometime around the middle of our sophomore year, he said, you know, I'm confused about something. And I said, what's that? He said, well, you know, you said that after high school you became a Christian. And I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, well, the thing that doesn't make sense is I can't tell that it's made any difference in your life. Wow. A non-believer. A non-believer said, told me that, yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know, I guess now that you mention it, it hasn't really but I think God spoke to my heart through him. Hmm. The next morning, I began reading my Bible. I began reading Romans because that's the, really the only book of the Bible I knew how to find. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so starting Romans 1, 2, 3, on and on I go. And I come to where Paul says at the end of Romans 5, you know, that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Hmm. And that sounded familiar. Like I remembered somebody telling me when I was a brand new Christian like, you know, the great thing about being a Christian is when you sin, God forgives you. And I thought, well, how good is that? I was going yeah. to go do whatever I want to. 
<laughs> yeah, so so the next verse, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And I'm thinking, yeah, I know the answer. Sure, the, right. abs- the answer is absolutely. right. And then Paul says, I was using an old King James Bible, and the King James says, God forbid. Mm. You died wow. to sin. How can you live in it any longer? Mm. And I knew right then that my life had to change. I didn't have the power to change it. Uh, I left UNC Charlotte to take a year or more off of school and say, you know, here again, I'm at a point where I've got to sort stuff out, you know. So I came back home. I managed a sporting goods store, got really involved in my church, uh, began reading my Bible as often as I could, taking part in anything I could to help me understand more and grow as a Christian. And uh, yeah, probably at some point over the next uh, six or eight months, I began to feel God calling me to ministry. And so, um, yeah, uh, enrolled in a little school that uh, North Carolina Baptist owned called Fruitland Baptist Man. Bible Institutes, now called Fruitland Baptist Bible College. It right. was an institute at that time. And uh, somebody said, oh, you're a young guy, you know, uh, halfway through college. You don't want to go to Fruitland. Fruitland's for old men who just want to be preachers, you know. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly where I want to be. Right. I want to just be around old men who love Jesus and, and want to study the Bible and learn together. Hmm. And, uh, man, had the best two years of education in my life at that little school. Um, love Fruitland and what they do. Um, came out of Fruitland, did an internship at Calvary Baptist in Winston-Salem with Mark Quartz uh, when he was pastor yeah. there. And um, yeah, uh, sometime late 1997, I uh, got a call to go serve a church in Maryland as a youth pastor and was there just a short time before um, through the pastor's health uh, going downhill and other circumstances, I ended up becoming the pastor there while finishing my undergrad degree at Lancaster Bible College in Pennsylvania, which was just about 30 minutes away from our church. And um, I was there five and a half years and felt like I needed, uh, like I was ignorance on fire. Hmm. And I felt like, uh, you know, I really needed some seminary training. So uh, my wife and I, and we had uh, a son at the time, uh, just, we just had one child at the time. He was very young. We moved back to North Carolina so that I could attend Southeastern Seminary. Uh, pastored a church in Kernersville while I was in seminary. Our daughter was born during that time. And then right as I was graduating from seminary, I uh, went to serve at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Greensboro. I was pastor there for 12 years when I was invited onto the staff at the convention to be strategy coordinator. So that's that's my story. That. What a story. And I think there's so much more that we could unpack there, but just amazing how God uh, moved and just, I just keep, I get, my mind is stuck on that instance at the uh, Air Force Academy when like, yeah, technically you should have already said the oath, but nope, yeah. sorry. God's providence, sorry. you know, like just the providence of God to send a tornado to disrupt the schedule so that he could get me out of there and get me where he wanted me to be, you know? I mean, and that's the amazing thing. When I look back over my life and all those years of not walking with Jesus, just how good God was to me to preserve me, to providentially arrange things in my life so that he could accomplish his purpose in my life. And it's, Mm. you know, it's just, it's just amazing. His grace is so amazing. Mm. That's awesome. Well, loved hearing that story. Would love to hear more and more and more about that. Uh, I guess we've kind of known each other at, with your work for the state. Uh, we've met a couple times. I've been in some, um, what would we call it? A cohort. Cohorts, yeah. yeah uh, together cohort that together. You, you led with some local pastors. Really, really enjoyed that. I couldn't write things down. You were saying fast enough. Uh, love your work with, uh, with the convention. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, we want to dive in before that to the the deep three here as we are on the deep three podcast. So things that I'm passionate about: sports, uh, culture, and faith. So that's kind of the those three things. So uh, first question would be: What is your favorite sports memory? Man, I, I'm a sports junkie. Um, I always have been. Um, I used to manage a sporting goods store before I went in ministry. I loved that. I was surrounded by sports all day, mm-hmm. every day. Um, 
So I've got a lot of favorite sports memories, but I think, you know, when I think about my favorite sports stuff, it's it's about me and my son. Um, my son's a sports junkie. In fact, he's 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 a bigger junkie than I am. Oh yeah, that's awesome. And uh, he wants to go into sports journalism, and so okay. that's his career ambition. Uh, but uh, where I think it all started was when I was pastoring in Maryland. Uh, he was um, just a toddler, you know. I took him to a University of Delaware hockey game, hmm. and I mean, the kid fell in love with sports okay. at that hockey game. Um, everything became ice hockey and sports from that day forward. And so that would be a big sports highlight and memory for me was just exposing him yeah. at an early age to the love of sports and the love of hockey in particular. I've been a hockey fan all my life. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I would put a kind of a bookend on that. Hopefully it's not a bookend, but maybe a, a, a break in the shelf, uh, maybe, yeah. is that uh, last, no, time's gone by too fast since this <laughs> pandemic's gone. Sure. 2019, back when we could go places, Yeah. Uh, he and I went to a Boston Red Sox game in Fenway. Okay. And... Uh, you know, man, the just the joy in my heart as I'm sitting there with him as a 19-year-old, you know, enjoying a game just like mm-hmm. we did when he was two and wow. we were at our first hockey, yeah, his first hockey game together. That is awesome. So, uh, yeah, those are those are my favorite sports. There's, I've seen a lot of my favorite teams win championships. I've seen great plays and great players. But, man, for me, it's about the fact that this has been my son and I, yeah. this is sports has been our connecting point. It's personal. For, that's, yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful story. Um, all right. So shifting to culture, something you can't get enough of, food, TV, is it a book, a movie, all kinds of possibilities there. Yeah. Um, so this is a confession uh, for better, for worse. I love ginger ale. Okay, I like some ginger. I love I love ginger flavored yeah. anything. So yeah. uh, typically, it's my beverage of choice when I'm okay. somewhere. I get ginger ale to drink. I was in Birmingham, Alabama, 2019 for the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, I wasn't feeling real well. And so I go into the hotel lobby, and there's a bar there, and and I ask the guy for a ginger ale. And he hands me this bright yellow can that I've never seen before. And, uh, and, and you know, I was like, what's this? He said, this is ginger ale. He says, this is local <laughs> stuff. It's called okay. Buffalo Rock. Only available in certain markets since originated in Birmingham. Okay. Um, it, I took one sip of it and it set my mouth on fire. I mean, this stuff <laughs> is so intensely, yeah. it's got this, like, spicy kick to it. And... So, so like the, the, the good news is it was fantastic. The bad news is you can't find it anywhere. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, in, in the fall of 19, like I brought a 12 pack back with me, you right. know, and, and it didn't last long fall of 19. I have a friend who's going to Birmingham for a conference. And I mm-hmm. said, uh, Hey man, do me a favor, bring me back some Buffalo rock ginger ale. And so he texts me, and he's like, hey, I'm at uh, Piggly Wiggly. Uh, oh, yeah. how, how much uh, Buffalo Rock do you want? I said, well, 12. And he said, okay, 12-pack. I was like, no, 12, 12, 12 packs. Wow. Because <laughs> I had in my mind, you know, if I space my, or if I have, you know, just if I had one every so often, that could last me a year, you know? Sure, yeah. Yeah, so so he brought me 12 12-packs 12 back, and, uh, and and it didn't last a year. But anyway, talking with other people about this stuff and how amazing it is, well, there's other really good spicy ginger ales out there, okay. you know, and so I found out about some of them, and, and they're just as hard to come by, you know, you got to know somebody who, you know, there's like a black market for good ginger ale. <laughs> Sounds like another thing that they market, that they drive around here in, yeah. in the trunks of cars driving fast, right? Something like, <laughs> yeah. something like that. <laughs> so, but here's, this is what I'm building up to, is that within, since COVID broke out, there's a new product on the market, Uh-oh. readily available far okay. and wide, Canada Dry Bold. Okay. I have tried that, yeah. It's it's so good. Okay. I can't get enough of it. I have several a day. 
Okay. So good. Can't get enough Anna of it. Dry Bold. And the other one... This started off with let's get that name again. I'm Buffalo gonna, Rock. Buffalo Rock. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. If, and, you, uh, if you're listening in the greater Birmingham area, <laughs> send an email in. I'll get you my uh, address. There you, you can go. ship me 12 okay. packs of it. Yeah. All right. I did not know you were such a fan of ginger ale. And I love ginger ale, ginger based drinks, foods. I just love the flavor. So that's, that's very cool. Um, so, final one focusing on faith. Uh, we've heard your story. Uh, yeah. What's something right now that uh, God is teaching you? Um, I think the overarching thing that God is continually teaching me is to keep my eyes on the mission field. Hmm. There are so many things in life, in ministry, in church that distract us from our ultimate calling to be ambassadors for Jesus in this great commission task to make disciples from every tribe and nation and language and people from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. There's so many distractions from that that it's easy to lose sight of it. And so uh, daily, multiple times a day, God is reminding me, always keep your eyes on the field. Hmm. Um, because wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever's going on in your life, God wants to use it to make a disciple. And so, you know, um, if, if you're somewhere you've never been before, God has you there for a purpose. If you're going through something that's unpleasant, uh, God has you in that place as his ambassador. And there's a mission field there you know, for you to reach. If you're doing your favorite thing, if you're having mm. ginger ale with your favorite people, yeah. there's there's a mission that God has you there to do. So it's just eyes on the field at all times. That's that's what God is continually teaching me. Very good. Gotta stay gotta stay focused for sure. Right. Do that. Um okay, so something else that you're into that I'm trying to be into, I'm so in and out of, of this, uh, is running. So you've got a good history in running. So I want to start this off. Now I'm just hitting you with this. This I didn't tell you about this. Another thing I've been doing is giving everybody, uh, since it's the deep three, three trivia questions about something. So I'm gonna hit you with three oh, yeah. running trivia questions. Oh, we'll see how you do on those. So, um, and again, I always preface this: this came from the internet, so there's obviously a chance that it is not true. Okay. So, uh, what is the number of Pair, how many pair of running shoes? How many pairs of running shoes are sold worldwide per year? Um, well, if I contribute a lot to that number, <laughs> um, I mean it's it's got to be in the millions. I, I I I couldn't even begin to guess. I mean, and I don't know how they came up with this estimate. The estimate's one billion. A billion. I can. A billion I mean, pairs of. I can believe it. I mean, I've I've got probably a dozen pairs. Yeah. In my closet right now. I think I saw the average for runners like two point seven pair a year. I try to go one a year, but probably if I ran more, I'd need more, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I like to switch them up. Yeah. Um. So you know, different ones feel different ways. Right. Um, right. So I like to just uh, switch them up. Um. What's your, what's your, I mean, do you have a brand of choice or a I couple? Have, so I, I go through waves where I like this one more than this one or whatever. Lately, I'm really, really loving the Brooks Ghost. Okay. Um, I was, I was late to the party on that. That's a favorite for a lot of runners. Right. I resisted uh, that for a long time because I was running in New Balance um, 1080s and New Balance uh, Vongos. Um I really like the Skechers performance line. Okay. Uh, I was reluctant yeah. at first because I like Skechers, but don't they have heels? Uh, right, with, right. Don't they have wheels in the back and the, they light up <laughs> when you walk? I can help you go faster uh, though, right? you know, the wheels. But uh, no, I started reading all this good stuff about them, so I thought I'd give them a try. I really like some of their models. So, you know, uh, I just ran across a deal on Brooks that I couldn't pass up, and I was like, oh, I hear a lot about this Brooks yeah. Ghost. And uh, it lives up to the hype. It's a good okay. shoe. Uh, yeah. So I've been really enjoying that lately. It's been my kind of go-to shoe lately. I just got a pair. I won a free pair okay. of Saucony Triumphs. Yeah. Uh, this Instagram thing, you know, if you 
like the post, tag a friend, and comment, you know, in your favorite real. color or whatever. The you giveaway know. was real. It's yeah, proven and, and that I won. Was real. Yeah, okay. I won. I won the free shoes. Saucony Triumph 18s. I like those. They're okay. really nice. So, yeah. So, right now, I've got several pair that I'm that I'm putting some good miles in on. I'm on my second pair of uh, the Own brand. Oh, yeah. So, the first one I got, I really liked, but they were just a touch too big. Uh, and I thought that when I got them, but uh, I listened to the sales lady, and they just slid up and down on my ankle a bit, so I got, on my foot, so I got a, a little bit smaller size, and I like those. The problem is, uh, I live on a gravel drive, I'm running gravels. The way they're designed, you just get the gravels in your shoes all the time. They've so got those little kind of pockets. It's like a tire, like right, they kind of right. designed after a tire, but I really like those uh, right now. That's my favorite ones. Everybody I know who runs in those shoes loves them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've never tried them. Yeah, really like them. Uh, all right, next one. Uh, true or false? So I'll give you an easy 50 okay. 50 chance here. Uh, Will Farrell ran the 03 Boston Marathon in under four hours. I would say that's false. It is true. Wow. 3.56. Wow. Was his time. So. Who knew? Who knew? I did not know that. I ran across that this morning. So Will Farrell ran the 03 Boston Marathon in less than four hours. I once met a guy. I was in Morocco on a mission trip, and this guy was with the was with the Peace Corps there. Super interesting guy. I wish I could remember his name. He told me, uh, it's like my favorite run story I've ever heard in my life, that he ran the Boston Marathon in under three and a half hours, including a stop at a friend's apartment for an adult beverage. Wow. Well, so you have to be fast to get into the Boston right. Marathon. Right. Now, they do let some celebrities go in you know, who don't officially qualify. Right. And this year, because of COVID, the first, I don't know, 70,000 people or something who sign up can do it without qualifying because it's virtual. Okay. Um, so this is a good year to get into Boston. If you, when is it? Uh, there's a, there's a date the window. They, I think it just opened this week. I think maybe today it opens. Oh, actually. goodness. So you can check that out. I don't, I'm not a big, I, I do some virtual stuff because I have to this yeah. year. But I, I, I wouldn't do that. That feels like uh, running onto the field during the Super Bowl or something, you know. Like I, <laughs> I don't, I just don't feel like that's my game. But yeah, I mean, if, if a guy qualifies for Boston, yeah, I, I can believe right. he can run it that fast. Yeah, uh, I, I can't qualify for it, and I can't run. Yeah, that I wouldn't fast. qualify yeah. for it either. So um, yeah, um, all right. So Will Ferrell did run the O three Boston Marathon, apparently. So uh, the next one, interesting, and I never would have guessed this. What do you think? What's the optimal race day temperature based on scientific Ooh. testing of how your body, uh, you know, is affected by? So it's not my opinion. This is not your opinion, okay. and it would not be my opinion. I would say I'll give you that. I would say forty-five. That is exactly right. Wow, forty-five degrees. So that's the very impressive. So I would think it'd be hotter. I'm thinking like sixty. Why, why do you think 45? 45 is cool enough to keep you from overheating, but warm enough that you don't have to bundle up. Okay. So if you're going to do like a long run, let's say you're doing a half marathon or a marathon. Right. At 45, you'd be comfortable in shorts and short sleeves. I'm just too cold natured. I don't know what's. I mean, the first <laughs> couple of miles, you'd be cool, but yeah. you'd heat up. You'd okay. heat up at 45. You'd heat up, and yeah, I I love it when it's mid 40s, mid 40s okay. to low 50s is is my that's my, my comfort zone. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's like the old joke. Uh, uh, guy said, you know, he plays golf. He likes to, he he normally plays in the 70s because if it's hotter, you know, anything <laughs> more than that's too hot. You know, so yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Right, but I, I I I like I think I run best when it's on the cooler side. Okay. Yeah. I just feel like I have I don't breathe very well, so I'm sucking in air, and 45 just seems cold for that. Uh, but you know, speaking of running, uh, what got you into running? What what got you started? Um, so 2015, I was terribly overweight, out of shape. I've had arthritis all my life. I was born with it, um, and I used that as an excuse to be lazy. Uh, you know, everything hurts all the time, uh, and and I just was lethargic and sedentary. I gained 
super amount of weight that I'm still carrying a lot of. Um, and I just realized something had to change. And I know myself well enough to know I'm not going to go to a gym. I'm not going to do the regular kind of workout thing. I like being outside. And I like, I like walking. I like hiking. I like being out in nature. So why not just speed it up a little bit and run? So, right. so one morning I just uh, woke up and I said to my wife, I think I'm going to go run. And she was like, well, I, I'm going with you because you might die. Huh. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and so it's something we got into together. Okay. Now, I will tell you the kind of the backstory to that is uh, I had been at a conference in Orlando um, two years in a row before that while one of the Disney, uh, run Disney race events was going on. And the first year, my wife and I were watching these people on vacation running Hmm. 13 miles saying, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. (laughs) Why would you, why would you do that? You know, the next year, uh, it was going on again while we were there and I was in meetings all day at this conference and she was out, you know, having a good time with my kids and they met some people who were doing the race and Hmm. She came back. She said, you know, we talked to some of those running people. And I was like, oh, I bet that was nauseating. You know, and she's (laughs) like, no, actually, it sounds really great. It sounds like they have a really good time. And she's like, you know, I I think I'd like to do that at some point. And so I think that planted the seed. And, you know, at some point I began thinking to myself, you know, if this is something my wife wants to do, I mean, I'm letting my physical limitations and my personal comforts Hmm. stand in the way of her goals here. I don't want to do that. And so, you know, I thought if I can get moving, we can do this together. And so we did. Yeah. That is very awesome. And the next year, same weekend, I went to the conference and we ran the 5K and that was our first big race. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. I know. I know you're a big Disney guy, so that was a yeah, cool thing to be yeah. to be down there uh, as well doing that. So, how would you? Um, what are some pointers you may have for somebody who's maybe they're hitting this like, yeah, I probably should start uh, getting moving and, and exercising and and running. Uh, how would you? What would you tell them? What would be your advice to them? Um, for one thing, just do it. Just Nike plug right there. Lace them up <laughs> and go do it. Go do it. Um, yeah. But be wise and be patient. Um, so that that first day I went out and ran, I felt amazing. Yeah. After I finished, I thought I'd probably feel like I was dying. I felt right. amazing. You talk about the runner's high. Yeah. You get endorphin rush, you know, right. to your brain. Uh, I was on it, man, and I was like, I can't wait. When can we do this again? And so yeah. I went out the next day and I ran even further. I went out the next day and ran even further. And by the end of that week, I'd blown out my knees. Uh, I I developed bursitis in both knees from just getting, I was too heavy, running too far, too fast, too quickly, and hurt myself. Um, So uh, I thought, well, that running thing was fun for a week, (laughs) but but I enjoyed it so much that I wanted to get back to it. So I started listening to running podcasts, and uh, I ran across Jeff Galloway. Uh, So Jeff Galloway was a 72 Olympian. And uh, since that time, he's trained hundreds of thousands, probably, of runners. And uh, Jeff Galloway's model, method, uh, his method of running, is what he calls run, walk, run. Mm -hmm. Uh, You incorporate walk breaks into your running. Now, a lot of the traditional mindsets would say, no, if you're walking, you're doing something wrong. Don't count, right? That's not a real run. Well, so Galloway says... Every so often, your body needs about a 30-second walk break to recover in real time. Helps with your endurance. Helps with your stamina. Helps with your speed. Uh, And so, you know, and and it protects you from injury. So um, I decided when I started back running after my injury, uh, I would begin taking these walk breaks and, uh, and so, yeah, to this day, I still use that method. I, I run for a little while and then I walk and then I run and then I walk. And I can do that for hours, you know. 
um, if I have the ratio right of mm-hmm. how much time spent running, how much time spent walking. Is that just based on how you feel through the day, or do you have a set? So I time? have, yeah, I have like a, a standard that I've kind of gotten to where I, this is my normal. And then if it's a day where I'm not feeling great, I can adjust it a little bit. If it's a day that I want to push myself a little bit, I can push it the other direction. Uh, so I recently did a marathon relay with some friends of ours. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, so four preachers went out okay. and did this uh, this marathon uh, relay. Each one of us ran, I think, something like, I don't know, 6.8. Divide 26.2 by 4. That's how long we ran. Okay. It's about six, 6.4, 6.8 miles, something like that. Anyway, I didn't want to be the slow poke on the team. I think I still right. was. But anyway, I pushed myself to run... Um, like 1.5 times the amount of running that I normally do to half the time that I would normally walk. Oh, wow. So I was double pushing myself yeah. with the running and the walking and ran the best times I've ever run. Awesome. And, and we, we finished, uh, we were we were first in our age group. There you go. We were the only team in our age hey, group. No, I didn't know that. But... <laughs> you didn't have to share that last part. First place. Right. But we were all super pleased with our finish time on that. Yeah. So yeah. So it's great because you can you can you can play with it. You can run a little more, run a little less. Uh, you know, walk a little more, walk a little less. But thirty seconds is the ideal walk time. You don't okay. want to. If you walk more than that, then it actually depletes your energy wow. and your recovery. So run whatever you have to run to then walk thirty seconds and then do it again. Okay. And uh, yeah. And so I've I've run a marathon doing that. I've, uh, uh, like not just the relay. I, uh, 2018, January 2018, my wife and I both did the Walt Disney World Marathon, and uh, I would probably do it again one day. Okay. But for 21 months in a row now, I've run a half marathon every month, and uh, yeah, so you know it, it works for me. There you go. And if you're trying to get started, I would say that's the best thing I know to do. Just Google Jeff Galloway, find his method, and start okay. doing that. Very cool. I think it's a great way. I had somebody ask me the other day who was just starting. They've been walking. They want to run. I was like, just run for a little bit and then walk and yeah. And then as you go, run for further and hey, walk yeah, a little exactly. bit less. Yeah, exactly. Like five five seconds. You know, run yeah. for five seconds and then walk for thirty. And then you know, if you do that a couple of times and feel good, then do it for ten seconds. Right. And, you know, and so on. But you know, you don't have to get to the point where you think you've got to run a whole five k without taking a walk break. Yeah. I can't do that. Right. You know. I, I could if I if I had to like if 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 a bear were chasing me, I might could run a mile without taking a walk break. Yeah. Uh, but but I don't want to because I know I'm going to feel better if I take those walk breaks. That you can run with some walk breaks for, for a marathon. A marathon. <laughs> so, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, get out there and get started. I've still I've had it. I Many of you guys know if you know me, I've had this goal of a marathon. I just can't quite get there. I got real close. I ran 20 miles one time. I'm gonna do it. So uh, I'm twenty gonna, miles I'm is the threshold, it. you know. So I hit that. A so. lot of training plans say if you can do twenty, then don't do more than that until right. race day. I I did the full twenty six point two in training because I wanted to know what that felt like. Yeah. And uh, you know, a lot of people hit the wall at twenty three, so I think you should do at least twenty three before you do a marathon. Okay. So it yeah. felt great, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you're still here to talk about yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, I mean. <laughs> There was three years ago, as soon as it was over, we crossed the finish line, they put medals on our neck, I went and kind of collapsed. Uh, it was it was, it was was hot by the time we crossed the finish line. I said to my wife, I am never doing that again. Hmm. And the next uh, morning, no, probably later that night, I thought, you know, maybe we'll do that again right. sometime. And the next morning I said, when, when are we doing this again? And uh-huh. now we're like actively thinking about, okay, realistically with COVID and everything. Yeah. Uh, when are we actually going to do this again? Because we really do want to do it. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I want to do it at least once and hopefully this year. My goal is to do it before I turn 40. Uh, COVID kind of shut down any plans I had for that. So maybe in my 40th year, I will I was I will do it. 44. Okay. When I ran a marathon. There you go. Yeah. I didn't even start running till I was after 40. Okay. Yeah. Put this one on your calendar. Okay. It's called Fellowship of the Idiots. <laughs> okay. It's in uh, Albemarle. Okay. Um, it's a free event. Uh, they, they take donations, but it's 19.7 miles. Okay. 
You start in the center of town in Albemarle at the YMCA, and you run up to the top of Morrow Mountain and back. When we did that, that's when we said we can handle a marathon. If we could do 19.7 up a mountain, up a mountain, and back. yeah, I like uh, I like flat ground. I'll, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll pray about that one. Yeah, it's <laughs> a great event, super fun, well supported in the community. There, uh, there's a running store in Albemarle called Vac and Dash that does fantastic okay. events. Uh, Peter down there's a great guy, and uh, yeah, I would recommend that event to anybody who wants to who wants to really challenge themselves. Okay, sounds good. I'll, I'll definitely uh, definitely look into that. Uh, so anybody out there that wants to run, you can do it. Just start small. Absolutely. Uh, so we want to finish up here a little bit, kind of talk about your role with the state convention. Uh, and you work, um, one thing we, we, we said was kind of number one we want to talk about is pockets of lostness. Can you kind of explain that and, sure. and what you're doing in the tri area to try to uh, get the gospel to these, these pockets? Yeah, so a um, number of years ago, uh, the Baptist State Convention commissioned a study uh, in which we contracted a missiological researcher basically to look at every accessible data stream on North Carolina population and tell us spiritually what is the condition of our state. And from that study, what we discovered was across the state, North Carolina is 58% non-Christian. 58. 58%. Okay. And Knowing North Carolina the way that natives of North Carolina like you and I know it, um, that this is based on people's admission. Like this is what people say. Right. You know, are you a Christian? Well, I mean, we know people who are everything but Christian who would answer yes to that question, right? Yeah, this, this is like probably an anonymous question they could easily say the truth Sure, to, I'm right? a Christian. You know, <laughs> yeah. here's yeah. who I voted for in the last election, right? right. So right. that makes me a Christian, right? Yeah. Um, right, so so 58% is on paper. The reality yes. is it's likely much higher than that. Mm. Um, but we also discovered from that study that there were communities in North Carolina where the lost population was significantly greater than that. Uh, so we call these pockets of lostness. Right. Uh, we have in the report from the researcher, we have 324 of them identified. Wow, I didn't realize it was that, that many. Yeah, yeah, and so if you look at a map of the state where these pockets are drawn, I mean, it's end to end. You know, the top 100 highest priority pockets are around the major cities, they're around university campuses, they're around military installations, places with high population density. But even in rural areas like where we are now, uh, there are pockets of lostness. Um, we're also continuing to find, because, you know, demographics change uh, day to day, so we're continuing to do our own research and finding new areas that could very easily be called pockets of lostness, uh, you know, week to week. Mm -hmm. So, so the in pockets of lostness, a good rule of thumb. This is not a precise definition, but this is a good rule of thumb. In in a pocket of lostness, there are at least twice as many unbelievers as followers of Jesus, and that number is growing faster than the growth of the church. So already wow. you're outnumbered two to one mm -hmm. and you're losing ground rapidly. Mm -hmm. So so in a pocket of lostness, you've got to think that every believer in Christ in that pocket has got to be responsible for reaching three, four other people with the gospel and making disciples. You know, so um, this means that we've got to stop thinking about the end game being just getting people to come to our church. Mm -hmm. Okay, for one thing, they won't all fit. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. If we fill up every church in town, you're going to run out of seats and parking places before you run out of lost people. Yeah. As we were uh, studying and, and starting Kauai, we, um, we just figured that there's about 100 churches in our county, which seems crazy. And that seems like a lot. It is a lot. But with 40,000 people, for everybody to be in church, that's 400 people in each church. And churches aren't big enough. Yeah. And nowhere near. There's not, and, there's not enough of them. And there's not enough time in the day to have enough services, right? right? And, 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 yeah. and, then, and then the reality is, is that two-thirds of those people aren't even, it's not even on their radar screen to show up to anybody's church on Sunday morning. They're not thinking about coming to church at all. I pastored a church in urban Greensboro for 12 years. 
And we made it a point four times a year to visit every home within a certain radius of our church. Mm. And uh, our, you know, our, our goal in that was to continue building relationships in the community because you think, well, those people drive by our church every day. They know we're here. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't. They yeah. don't. I stood in the front yard of a man's home less than a block from our church, and and I said, I'm with Emmanuel Baptist Church. And he said, where's that? And mm-hmm. I said, it's right up the street. He said, right up which street? And I said, hey, look with me right here. <laughs> See that brick building with the steeple on it? He said, oh, yeah. I said, that's it. He said, oh, I drive by that four or five times a day. I've never seen it before. A church building. A a large church building. Yeah. And he said, I've never seen it before. You know, and so that's the reality is that we think, well, they see the building. They see the sign. They see the cars out front. They know we're here. They don't know. They're, they're They're not even thinking about it. Yeah. You know, so we have to stop thinking about the goal being get people into our building. We have to start thinking about getting people out of our building, into the streets, into the neighborhoods, into their communities, into their running groups and their cycling groups and their fishing groups and down at the library and over at the post office on Mm -hmm. mission, sharing Jesus and making disciples wherever we go in whatever we do. For sure. Um, So that's what... Our team is out here working together with churches and associations and parachurch organizations to help equip believers to embrace their calling to be what we say sent here. Mm. You know, you used to think about missionaries as being somewhere else. Right. You know, so if, if, if you're sent, you're not here. And if you're here, then you're not sent. But mm-hmm. we, we want you to really think about and embrace the reality that by God's providence, you've been sent here in the Great Commission yeah. to make disciples for Jesus. And so uh, when every believer starts living that way, then I think we can see uh, a turn in, you know, start, start erasing some pockets of lostness instead of mm. drawing new ones on wow. the map every week. That would be awesome. I, I talked with, with Jared Hoots in our last podcast about the idea of of really being intentional where you live, work, and play. Yes. It's like that's where you are. You're here for wherever you're at, listen to this, you're there for a reason. Yeah. You begin to be missional. So you know? so here's a little thought exercise that I like to break out and and, and and people listening can just visualize this. If you draw on a piece of paper a tic tac toe board, mm-hmm. okay? All right, center square, you make that your house. Every other square write down the names of your neighbors that live around you. Mm-hmm. Three across the street, one on each side, three behind. Maybe that's how your neighborhood's laid out. Right. Your house in the middle, eight neighbors around you. Okay, just start with write their names in. Most people can't do that. Okay, mm-hmm. so, so now you know. I need to get out and meet my neighbors. You get out and meet your neighbors, you're going to learn a lot of stuff about them. And one of the ways, one of the things you're going to learn about them is, is their, their crisis moments. You know, mm. this one's had a death in the family. This one's lost a job. This one, uh, my next door neighbor yesterday, his dog ran away. I mean, that mm. may seem like a small deal to a lot of people, but that's a big deal, you know, because yeah. a lot could happen when your dog runs away. You know, he was having a crisis in that moment. When you know your neighbor's name and you know their crisis, then you know how to pray for them. You know how to care for them, and you build opportunities to share the message of Jesus with them and to make disciples there. So it just starts with getting to know people, you know. Turn your phone off and go get to know some people, you know. That's the reality. Maybe wherever you are, I'm thinking about this too. If it's it's tougher with COVID, like a kid's ball practice or a game, maybe you do know those people. Maybe you don't. Like I think about that, like my daughter's in gymnastics, and like I know the thing now is, you know, stay in your car if you can, pretty right, much. Right. But when it opens back up, the times I go, I kind of would prefer to just zone out. But, like, there's people all around me that I don't know. Now, yeah. They're in Winston. It's a little different. But it's just got me thinking, you know, where are the places that I am at consistently, where there are people around that I will see consistently that I could easily begin to talk to. So that's yeah, it's good stuff for sure. 
Yeah, so, so that's, that's my primary responsibility is helping churches uh, in the missionary task in these pockets of lostness. Uh, another thing that I've been working uh, on with uh, some other folks at the convention that I'm really excited about is uh, what we're calling pastoral renewal. Um, it's, it's evident uh, during the pandemic especially that pastors are struggling with compassion fatigue, burnout, frustration. And because of the pandemic, they can't gather as regularly with other pastors. Mm -hmm. There's not big convention meetings they can come to for equipping sessions and everything. So we're really trying to mobilize ourselves to be there right. for pastors. So as part of that, we're, we're traveling around the state just grabbing lunch and coffee with pastors whenever we can to sit down and say, hey man, how can I pray for you? You know, tell me what's going on in your life and your family and your church. How can we help you? You know, one-on-one, -on -one, relationally right. uh, doing that. But also, we're trying to make some resources available. So a lot of times, pastors get caught in this thing where they need a break, but they don't know, they don't they don't have a, an escape hatch. Right. So it's like, man, I would take a Sunday off and go away with my family, but who's going to preach for me? Yeah. Well, so we're setting up thing. Basically, just let us know that you need that, and we'll be there. It costs you nothing. You already pay us. Your cooperative program giving church, you already right. pay us. So we're, we're going to come in and help you on that Sunday. Or maybe you need several Sundays. Maybe you need a sabbatical. And, uh, you know, your church might be supportive of that idea. They may think it's kind of weird. We'd be glad to come in and talk to them and help them see the need for that, you know, right. and to support you in that. And we'll come in and fill the pulpit for you while you're away so that you can get those three weeks, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, off to, to get away and just to unplug. If you need to design some kind of equipping pa uh, package to... To, to work through during that time, to occupy your mind, something you've been needing to deal with in your church you haven't had the time or the bandwidth to do. We'll help you set that up and structure that so that you can do that. And, you know, if you need to find a place you can go to do that, we've got a list of retreat centers that are no cost or low cost to ministers who need this time away. So uh, so we're, we're putting all this together, uh, together with an assessment tool that we call the Burnout Quiz. Uh, and you can find it on our uh convention website ncbaptist.org slash pastoral dash renewal now we were talking about that i do think that probably a lot of pastors would uh i don't know if you want to say you pass the quiz or fail it <laughs> yeah <laughs> would, would say yes i'm experiencing burnout i don't know if you saw this uh i saw this on twitter a couple weeks ago clayton king had just this thread of tweets about all the things that pastors have been going through through COVID, mm. uh, and it was just maybe like twelve tweets, just boom, 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 and it was just full of just all the things that you know that we've had to to deal with that are really tough. And and there's you know I'm blessed to be on a, a team with a team of pastors. There's so many guys out there who are just almost in this alone. They are they bear the weight of almost everything at their church. So I, I really appreciate. Uh, what you're doing, I'd say to any any pastor, church staff listening, make it a priority to surround yourself with other people yes. in the ministry. Yes, uh, get in the cohorts that these guys are offering. Like, don't be afraid to ask for help, and just make it a practice to be around other people who are not in your church but do understand the weight of ministry. Yeah, yeah. And and I would just say if if you're a church leader and uh, you don't know where to turn but you know you need some kind of help, just even if it's just somebody to listen while you just process, yeah. man, call us at the Baptist State Convention because we want to be there for you and help you with that. And, you know, most of us have been there. Most of us have been pastors. We've, right. we've, we've been down that road. We know, you know, we haven't pastored in a pandemic, maybe, you know, yeah. but I've walked through the pandemic with a lot of pastors and, uh, Man, sometimes what you just need is somebody just to listen and pray with you. Yeah. And uh, if, if we can't do anything but that, that'll be helpful. But I, I think we can probably help you in some other ways too. I think that's a, that's so much of it. And just that's for everybody, just being available to listen. Like sometimes we just need to unload uh, what we've been holding on to. And somebody just needs to be that, yeah. that sounding board. Yeah, yeah, yeah for Amen. sure. Amen. So. Well, 
Uh, Russ, it's crazy to think we've been talking right at one hour. Can you believe it? I can't it's, believe it. It's, it's going like by. It's going by so fast. We could have ran six miles. Seven well, miles. I couldn't have run six miles <laughs> in this amount of time. I couldn't have. I couldn't have kept running that far. I, but, uh, five miles. I could have. I could have done five miles in this so, amount of time. There you go. People may have been running while listening. Yeah, there you go. See how it's time far to stop. Went. Time so, to stop. Yeah, but we'll. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, being here. Today, thanks for all that you do uh, for us as uh, NC Baptist, and um, I just appreciate your heart for helping churches and helping uh, pastors and helping to reach people in these pockets of lostness. Uh, your passion for running and your passion for ginger ale. I did not know that, so that is great. I'm excited to try some new uh, ginger ale uh, as well. But again, Russ, thanks for coming out today and, and being on. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, man. Thanks for what you guys do here, and uh, and it's just uh, I'm blessed. Call you a friend and partner and brother in ministry. Right. And thank you guys for listening. We'll see you back next time for episode eight of the Deep Three podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.